earning and development has just been so chronically bereft of any kind of marketing that it's a miracle that we're still kind of in employment. Why are we creating products for people without ever talking to those people? We aspire to um, change people's lives, make people's lives for the better, improve their experience, develop them, help them grow. And, and that all of that lies outside of that kind of compliance educational paradigm. We, we mm. push out compliance-based modules and say, well, nobody's doing them. They don't want to learn. Well, that's ridiculous. They want to learn. Get to know your audience. Otherwise, you're just going to be dumping content on them. And, and it, mm. will, it will all be forgotten. It won't make any difference, frankly. Hello, hello, marketing friendos, and welcome back to the Marketing for Learning podcast. Wow, I have a snack for your ear holes today. I recently sat down and chatted with Nick Shackleton-Jones, who you may be familiar with. He's quite well known in our industry, but for those of you that aren't, Nick has been a revolutionary in our industry. He's the author of How People Learn. He also has come up with the 5DI model, which is all around human-centered learning design. He has been the CLO at Deloitte, and he now runs his own uh, organization at Shackleton Consulting. He has won several awards for people development, strategy, innovation, and learning content. And he's also won a Learning Performance Institute's Award for Services to the Learning Industry in 2017. In a nutshell, Nick knows our industry inside and out. And I really enjoyed talking to him and discussing some of the challenges of our industry. We go deeply into the world of storytelling. We talk about emotions. We talk marketing campaigns, obviously. And ultimately, it's a really memorable conversation because Nick really considers learners as his audience and has done some fantastic work about around marketing and campaigns when he was working in-house in his own organizations as well. So it was a really inspiring conversation for me. Um, we were hoping to have some heated debates, but actually we just pretty much agreed on everything, which makes for some interesting listening for you nevertheless. Anyways, that's enough drivel from me. Enjoy this conversation. I know I did. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Marketing for Learning podcast. I'm super excited. I am joined by a very special guest today. I have Nick Shackleton-Jones here with me, and we are going to delve into the wonderful world of emotions, storytelling, and what it really takes to create human connection with our learners. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I think it's something different, but something really important uh, for lots of reasons. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know that you talk about marketing as well and something it's something that you see is definitely a priority. It's I think you said it was a chapter in your book, isn't it? It is. You know what? Marketing is. Let me say something weird. Marketing is kind of like the voice of God, because marketing wow. is, is how, <laughs> the future, how the future happens. Right. So let me explain a bit, because I know that sounds weird. The future is some bright idea that's sort of uh, decades, even centuries ahead of us. And you'll have visionaries, you know, who, who glimpse these ideas. Every, you know, it might be somebody like um, an academic like Marie Curie, or it might be a, you know, an innovator, an inventor. But how does that future happen? Because quite often the people who have those brilliant ideas, those innovative ideas, are not necessarily very good at popularizing them. And, and, and that's what marketing does. 
it takes the future and it brings it into the present by connecting it to to people through the tools and techniques that marketing has. So marketing is really what drives us as a species from where we are today, kind of into the future. Obviously, there's the pull of the big idea, but marketing is that bridge. Yeah, I mean, I've never really thought about it like that. But, you know, the it begs the question, would the adoption of things like a smartphone, for example, had any level of efficacy if we didn't have marketing behind them, you know, the likes of Apple, they're probably one of the the most renowned or respected businesses in the world in terms of how they execute marketing and how they actually connect with people for technology on a human level. It does beg the question, would adoption have been there if they didn't do any marketing? I'd probably say no. I don't think it's just um, a rhetorical question because actually I think we know the answer to that because um, Apple were not the first people to come out with the idea of the GUI and the touchscreen interface. That was Xerox. And basically, mm. if you read the kind of biography of Steve Jobs, that idea was sort of nicked from from Xerox, but they didn't know how to market it. So what Apple did was effectively take a brilliant idea. So that's the model that somebody else had had and probably a few other people might have had, but it wouldn't have become the future unless marketing could actually kind of connect it to to the present. So, uh, yeah, I think Mm. marketing plays a huge role in our lives. Exactly. And I think, you know, there are no new ideas at this stage. Isn't that, I feel that way, you know, like what we're doing, marketing for learning, like marketing is not a new idea. (laughs) Applying it to L&D shouldn't be a new idea. (laughs) <laughs> I disagree. I'm going to disagree profoundly. Oh, wait, have we found something uh, we disagree on? Yeah, I know. I know we wanted to argue <laughs> about something, but, but I know people say there's nothing new in the world. All the ideas have been discovered. But no, it's a very pessimistic, you know, it, it, if you look at medieval times, you look back a few hundred years, you think, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff they didn't know. They didn't understand, you know, the, uh, relativity. They didn't understand all manner of things. So obviously, from a medieval perspective, there were loads of new ideas that were coming down the line. But we always look backwards. We always like to think, oh, we've peaked. We've peaked. And I'm sure they thought in medieval times, we've peaked. You know, even Renaissance writers were saying that science has discovered everything there is to discover. There's nothing new. And that's just wrong. It's like, imagine we are now living in medieval times. You know, the way that we're living now will look so crude and primitive to people 100 or 200 years on and they'll say there were all these discoveries that they were just kind of blithely unaware of so i think there's this constant unraveling of discovery i think truth and reality is like a story you know to to link to that theme it it's it's like you don't know how the story's going to unfold and there will always be surprises there will always be twists in the tale there'll always be new things we haven't got to the end of the story yeah, no, you. I mean, I can't argue with that because it is true. I, I don't know. I remember. I don't remember who said it. I don't think it was Henry Ford, but it was around that sort of time, maybe when the airplane was invented, and they, yeah. they, someone famously said, like, man has invented everything that is yeah. ever going to be invented. And yeah, that's the quote. <laughs> you I was just thinking sit here and think, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, we, we've definitely progressed beyond that. Yeah. So, I mean, let, let's let's dig into that a little bit then, because you know. From what we're saying here, marketing helps with bringing the future to the present, can help a lot with you know societal progression, yes. But also, I think, from my perspective, progression within the learning function and within a corporate landscape in terms of mm. the role that learning can play within things like the employee value proposition, but also you know the influence and impact that we can have on our employees' life through learning mm. that needs to be achieved by, well, first of all, awareness. People need to know that the thing exists before it can ever have an impact, of course. And then they need to understand the value of what's available to them. And again, that has to be communicated through marketing, right? Mm. I, I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking, 
it's just uh, learning and development has just been so chronically bereft of any kind of marketing that it's a miracle that we're still kind of in employment. And I was thinking, well, how, how would I explain that? And I thought, well, imagine that you and I, Ashley, we create a new product and it's the Dingle Goober 3000, let's say, for the sake of argument. And um, this this does nothing for any of the customers. And we know this because we haven't bothered to talk to any of them. We've done no market research. We've done no audience analysis. We've developed no personas. We're just going to create the Dingle Goober 3000 because it's easy for us and we want to turn a profit, right? And then we create this thing and then we push it out to people. How do we do that? Is it a multi-channel marketing strategy? It's no, we send them an email. We say, hit them with an email, say, <laughs> click here. Here's a link to the Dingle Goober 3000. And because we haven't actually built a relationship with most of the people on that email list, you know, it just looks like spam. There's a kind of a few curious people, maybe 15% of that massive list who actually think, well, oh, what the heck is that? I'll click on that link and they click on it. And you might think they, they're seamlessly moved into an e-commerce platform. No, they encounter some grotesque system that looks like it's from the year 2000. And they're forced to watch a, a dreadful video with featuring you and I talking about how important this product is to us. Um, and then they, they're able to kind of sign up and register for it. Um, uh, and and that you might leave you wondering, well, what is the Dingle Goober 3000? Oh, it's a PowerPoint presentation with a quiz at the end. <laughs> it's like, how 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 could that, in what world could that kind of work as a product? If you, if you actually adopted like a product um, management kind of mindset, which incorporates, you know, marketing as, as part of how you manage a product, it's just bizarre. This is kind of like the worst way to actually develop and market and, and and improve a product but but the only reason we do it is of course because that's that's kind of school you know nobody mm. it's not considered in that way nobody your teachers never marketed anything to you it was just kind of sit down shut up here's the curriculum and so we sort of do that and that's fine if all you want to do is compliance but a lot yeah. of people in L&D want to do more than compliance they don't want just want to do compliance training whereas click on this and complete the damn module because you know we can tell you what to do well okay i mean it's a living right but that's not what we aspire to as you said in in your piece just then we aspire to um change people's lives make people's lives for the better improve their experience develop them help them grow and and that all of that lies outside of that kind of compliance educational paradigm so yeah marketing yep. can help take us there Ah, I could not agree more. You've basically paraphrased about pretty much every episode that we've ever had on this podcast and, and many a rant that I've had on LinkedIn. I am so aligned to everything you've said. And, you know, the, the things for me are it's that starting point. That's the biggest problem. It's why I start our masterclass with mindset, because we operate from a, a position in L&D that people want to learn. We make this incredible assumption that because they work they're an employee at the organization that you know and even the word learner very loaded right they're they're already actively learning by the sounds of things it, it puts us in a bad place because rather most marketers know okay I've, i'm developing a new product i've got to get buy-in i've got to sell this product i've got people we've got to get people to understand the value of this and how it's going to benefit them before they're level transact with me but we don't do that. We make this leap from they're an employee, they should want to learn. And I've, I've had this discussion, I've heard these phrases, you know, well, they should want to learn. Why? Yeah, it's such an interesting <laughs> point you make there, because it's a little bit like saying consumers want to buy. It's like, well, 
do they? Do they want to buy? I don't think they want to buy. I think they want to buy things that make their lives better. They just mm. crudely want to buy. And I think people don't want to learn in that sense. I wrote a piece a while back called, you know, talking about people as learners and like talking about people as breathers, you know, it's, they, they don't just want to learn. They want to do something. They want to do a job. They want to, I'll give you a real example. When people join organizations, I do a lot of analysis of what they want when they join. And the biggest thing is they want to fit in, right? Mm. So they want to fit in. They want to show up in the right way. They want to look cool. They don't want to look stupid. Um, they want to know how to dress and, you know, um, how to talk and how to be a success and how to build their reputation. Um, they don't just want to be educated. That's what they don't want. So people want to learn in the sense that they have some kind of motivation, like fitting in, and they go in and out of every experience. They go to a meeting and they and they watch closely and they think, oh, who looked cool in this meeting? And why? And they analyze that. So they're constantly learning. But that's all aligned with what they care about, which is driving their learning. And then along yeah. comes the HR team and says, do this module. And they think, crikey, what, what, who am I doing this for? It doesn't appear to be relevant to me in any way um, because the HR team haven't taken the, the effort as discussed as you make it. Relevant. It's just like, oh, so I'm just doing it for you. And that's not learning. That's education. That's comply. Let's do this module. Click the test. Do this thing because that's what we need you to do. It's just a very different activity, and we conf constantly confuse one with the other. We, we mm. push out compliance-based modules. So, well, nobody's doing them. They don't want to learn. Well, it's ridiculous. They want to learn. They're learning every day, every minute. But what they don't want to do is be, be educated. It's a different thing. Yeah. And I think it's fostering a very passive uh, learner attitude, right? Because as, as long as, and, you know, most clients that we work with have this approach where the, most of their marketing is centered around programs or initiatives or getting people to the platform and it doesn't focus on that higher up bit that you know why the value of 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 doing it in the first place it's hey we've got this thing go and do it and there's you know like you said at the beginning so eloquently it's missing that level of understanding of the audience in terms of their emotional drivers and actually their motivators. And, you know, mm. this is why we should always strongly recommend that people build personas that are bigger than job titles, you know, Oh, well, they're a manager. So they want this type of learning. No, 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 no. Let's go a little bit wider. You know, who are these people? What's going on with them at work and outside of work? Why, what, what, what not what type of learner or not, I'm not talking learning styles and stuff like that because um but what I mean is you know people's reasons for potentially engaging with your product i.e your learning are going to be quite different and therefore the way that you talk to them your messaging and maybe even like the designs that you use and how to kind of catch their eye and things like that could all vary depending on you know someone who let me try and think of a couple of examples. So someone who's new to the organization is probably quite eager, wants to impress, wants to learn a lot, wants to get on board, doesn't want to look stupid, like you said, wants to fit in. So they want to fill those knowledge gaps quite quickly. So they're quite eager. But the way that you might talk to them could be vastly different to someone who's been in role for 10 years, knows the business inside out, but mm -hmm. isn't really actively engaged with your learning proposition. We don't, generally speaking in L&D, do that level of detailed research in terms of actually understanding our audiences and their emotional drivers. And that's how we connect with people. You know, that's why storytelling is effective. It triggers emotions, right? Yeah. I mean, let's just, I always think about people listening to a program like this. And I think, well, it's important to talk about real examples and practical things that you could apply. And so I'll try and do that and answer your question because I completely agree. Um, the first thing is, well, get to know your audience otherwise you're just going to be dumping content on them and, and it, mm. it will all be forgotten it won't make any difference frankly um and so 
one of the things I learned was that marketing had already started to explore lots of the techniques that learning needed to be successful. So, for example, personas. One of the things that I started doing years ago, probably over a decade ago, was creating personas, you know, around learners, doing audience analysis, because marketing and product development does you know, market analysis. Why don't we do that in learning? Why are we creating products for people without ever talking to those people? So design thinking kind of comes into it. Why don't we involve the users of our products in the design of those things? Why don't we use marketing techniques to understand our audience? Why don't we create personas? The other thing that I came across that was really interesting was customer journeys. Did a lot of work with a service design company back at the BBC. Really interesting. We thought about learning as a service and sort of, well, how do people do experience how people experience learning as a service in the BBC and we map that out but we use this service design company and it was fascinating because they went at the problem completely differently they they looked at it from a customer's perspective the journey end to end and that became integrated into our way of working so in the discover stage for example of, of 5di I won't talk about that right now but um you actually you get people to do a, a journey and so typically to your point um Ashley when people want to learn when they're going into something for the first time when they're joining a company when they're becoming a leader for the first time, when they're going to a technical role or, or whatever. And you can get groups of those people, divide them in audience segmentation, divide them into different personas, depending on the challenges. So, for example, a new hire at a university into a big professional services company is going to have a completely different experience to somebody who's very experienced hire, right? Simple audience segmentation, different personas. You're going to do, do things differently. And then you can do journeys and you can discover almost immediately what those those customer journeys are like. Um, and they're terrible sometimes. They, people join yeah. on a high and immediately they're depressed and they're unconfident. They don't know what they're doing and they feel unsupported and lonely and in at the deep end. And you lose people. So that has business impact. So it's not all soft and fluffy stuff. This is how you make a difference to, you know, to your business by actually understanding those journeys and helping and supporting people when they need it and developing them into roles. So those sorts of techniques, bringing those across into learning design is just transformational, really. It shifts it from just being, as I say, pushing content of people, compliance, education, into actually being helping people with a job and actually creating experiences which transform them. You know, it's, it's such a radical yeah. departure. It is. And, I, th you know, the people that I speak to, it's, it seems like such a gargantuan task at times to say, you know, I've, I've talked about learner journey mapping the same. Yeah. Interestingly, I think if you if you actually did journey mapping from a learning perspective, i.e. what touch points someone might have being onboarded versus, you know, joining a leadership program or whatever it might be, depending on what your initiatives involve, you'll start to see where those touch points are. You'll start to see if it's too many or not enough, you know, if we're talking about space repetition and, you know, we can look at how impactful the learning has the potential to be. But once you understand where the touch points are from a learning perspective, then you can start to see how your marketing can elevate yeah. that further. But without understanding where those touch points are, it is throw a lot of crap at the wall and see what sticks. It is the sheep dip approach because there is yeah. no other way. We we are completely ignorant and blind to actually how our people learn at work, how they consume content that we provide to them and so we just continue to put more in we think that that's that that's the source and root cause of the issue whereas actually sometimes I think less is more you know we could be a lot more sophisticated with what we offer yeah. but narrow it instead of just library after library after library yeah we're very self-centered and any organization that's good at marketing isn't like that Netflix doesn't say put up big you know uh, posters saying you know the new 
Netflix 2.0 has been released. I'm sure they're making updates all the time. I've never seen a Netflix poster that says Netflix is great or it, they just advertise a new series of Breaking Bad because that's the hook. That's what's in it for me. When, when as a real example, when we developed the leadership, uh, all the digital stuff for leaders at BP, um, the posters that we put up just said useful stuff on your device. Love it. It was his leadership. It, was, it said leaders, useful stuff on your device. And I, I remember saying to the team, do not use the word learning. Learning is now toxic because whenever people hear the word learning, they think compliance. They think, oh, no, it's some dreadful thing the HR team are going to force us to do. So from a marketing perspective, there's a problem we face, which is learning is now a toxic word. But I think I just wanted to pick up on the point you made, which is the what's in it for me. We have to understand that that's how to lead. So many learning campaigns that I've seen that basically say, we've created a new course. And it's like, who cares? It's like, what? how is that interesting to me? That's what you've done. That's your job. You know, tell me what's in it for me. And so, yeah, useful stuff on your device with strap line for leadership stuff. Um, but generally, that isn't well understood. Even that basic point that, you know, you should just market things according to the appeal and the motivation for the user but if you haven't talked to them you won't know what that is so you'll struggle absolutely always focus on benefits over features you know it's something that i repeat timelessly (laughs) because in i see it in every most comms is is very functional it's very feature focused it is very you know oh we have this thing and we we think you should do it and you know I, i look at it and i just think like Number one, there's, you know, if you even manage to get someone to open an email like that, I mean, you know, open rates are what on a, on a good day, our side, 18 to 22, 23%. So in, yeah. in, in org, I'd say maybe more like 10 to 15 yeah. on a good day. So, you know, you know, it's a numbers game at the best of times, which is why we have to do campaigns, which is why we have to do consistent communications over a period of time to actually get our message across. But I think at a basic level, things are being missed, like copywriting, for example, you know, actually, I, you know, how to write something so succinct, like useful stuff on your device, you know, that that's so simple, but it probably took a long time to get there because simplicity, clarity, brevity, very hard. You know, I don't remember, I don't remember who famously said I was going to write you a short letter, but I didn't have the time. It's hard to be succinct. It's hard to be pithy. So we don't take the time to actually think about what we're saying and 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 how someone reading it might actually interpret it. We just go, ah, oh, we need we need to get this out. We need no, we've got this workshop and no one's attended or no one signed up. We need to get bums on seats. We're paying for this uh, SME who's coming in regardless. Quick, send an email. And it's done that quickly in five minutes. And where's the learning in that for us either? You know, we're not, we're not actually even going to take any information from that and say, well, that didn't do well. Why? You know, there's just no elements of, we can call it marketing and comms if we really want to, but sending an email is not comms, (laughs) you know, it's not marketing, you know, it might be comms, you're telling somebody about something, but if our ultimate goal is to get attention, shift hearts and minds, change behavior, be provocative, influence then we've got to start mastering the art of marketing and that doesn't mean we need to be strategic marketers who've been doing this for 25 years Mm. there's a lot of really basic skills in marketing that can be acquired quickly or practiced you know repeatedly to to get a lot better and copywriting for me is just the biggest one of all really it's yeah overlooked again (laughs) i i think it's a fascinating point i guess you're saying those skills can be easily acquired. I think that's probably true. My, in practice, what I did was I started just hiring people 
from different those different disciplines <laughs> it's just like what well, if i wanted somebody who's really good at copywriting we're going to take a learning person and try and and you know create that capability or just but you know hire a copywriter so i had people like Gemma patterson you know from she was in the digital marketing yeah she's great monsoon so we really transformative learned a lot from Gemma about kind of marketing content strategy and so on and um copywriters ex-journalists you know uh or people who were journalists at the time um and editors into the team people who event you know management specialists because i found that it was easier to take them you know and say now apply that methodology to learning than it was to take people who had got all this nonsense in their heads around instructional design and education and completely de- de- deconstruct it it's quite demoralizing <laughs> to mm, say forget mm. all of that it's not going to help you it, it's just put it put it to one side and now start doing things differently so rather than deconstructing learning people I found it easier to construct learning people from sort of marketing and event people and so on um I don't want that means that that sound dispiriting, but I think that there has to be a complete a shift of mindset and a, a a better sense of the capabilities that you need as a learning person than we have today. Um, yeah, you know, for, for, for that to happen. And, and then I think if I just add a little bit more flavor into that, um, I think there's sort of two directions that people go. One within learning is performance support performance consulting, this phrase I introduced, the industry resources, not courses, creating really simple, useful stuff for people. You know, that's, as you say, an art in its own right to create a one pager on how to do X, Y, Z and to make it really easy to follow and accessible. That's tough. And then the other side of things is almost a, a different set of capabilities, which is to create transformational experiences, you know, which also kind of warrant marketing. But the difference is one is kind of pull and the other is push. You know, on the on the on the first hand side, you're creating stuff which people are motivated to use. It's this kind of the one pager on how to fix your phone or your washing machine when it goes horribly wrong. It's the stuff that people will will download and use. But on the experiential side, quite often you're taking an agenda like safety or data protection or DEI, and you're trying to persuade people and shift them and actually say, you know, this this matters. And, and there's a different set of skills and an, and an art that goes along with that. Yeah, I, I think it's, there's, there's kind of two, it's almost like a, a, an identified need by the learner versus maybe even an organizational identified need that hopefully aligns with maybe their career aspirations or things like that. Even even the resources approach where, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely in agreement that these, you know, if it's needed, people will use it. They still have to know where to go to get it. You yeah. know, otherwise they'll just go Google it. That's the truth. So unless your comms efforts are focused on establishing your learning platform or your portal or whatever the heck it is that you've got as the place to go for information, useful stuff in your device, Mm -hmm. then people still will habitually seek alternative sources of truth and information. So there's still a need, like to me, there's like marketing needs to act on a twofold level in any context, not just in L and D. And, you know, I don't know if you've heard of the terminology, like the long and short of it or hum sing shout, and, you know, there's this brand activity, which is that kind of hum. It should just be, it should be going on a reminder of, you know, the benefits of learning as a whole, what the, what the kind of culture and ethos, what are the value pillars of learning in the organization, tying back to things like the EVP and being a bit more 
uh, broadly viewed about it rather than just so kind of blinkered in our learning function. And then, you know, the converse of that is campaigns that are more deeply focused on that experiential piece that you just alluded to, which is, you know, very specific initiatives or programs that you really are focused on driving engagement with that initiative. Those two things need to be happening all the time. And I think one of the questions we get asked a lot is, well, what? how much is too much? You know, it, it, we're talking about comms here on a brand level and then campaigns. And, you know, the reality is, as I said, with the open rates, not everyone sees everything that you put out. So from your perspective, it may look like you're putting a lot of comms out, but it's not being seen by every set of eyes every single time. It's, it is a, a numbers game. So I think from my perspective, at least, you know, the campaigns that I've done externally and with clients as, uh, you know, as part of mass, the things that have worked the best is when those two elements, that brand piece and the kind of sharper, you know, spikes of campaigns are work, work together strategically to align and position learning as something that is valuable and of merit and should be given time dedicated to actually learn. Mm, it's, it can pull some of those strands together. There's so much, I think, in what you just described there. So as a practical example, in one organization, I was working with a team who were responsible for kind of like a learning culture initiative. Uh, and I think they came to me and they said, well, our plan is <laughs> to run like two events a year, you know, where we all just get together in a room and we talk about learning. And I was like, hmm, I just, that's not, that's not how you're going to change a learning culture. Um, so the first thing is cadence. So it should be, it's like marketing. It should be something, I, I want to see a content strategy. I want to know what you're doing every week. I don't want to know that you once or twice a year, we're going to get together in the room and talk about growth mindset. I want to know every week, what's the webinar? What's the lunch and learn? What's the the links? What's the things you're sending out? What's the trailer? What's the you know food for thought? What's the conversation? Every week, that's how it should look. And, and they're like, oh, okay. And then they were put together like a webinar. And I would say, well, how did it go? Well, it wasn't very well attended. And I said, right, what what was on the webinar? Oh, it was some training person talking about growth mindset. And I said, well, did the audience tell you that that's what they wanted to, the person they wanted to hear from and the thing they wanted to learn about? No. But did you do any audience analysis? No. Well, this is like, start with what really fascinates people. Build your campaign, your content strategy backwards from what people are really excited by and interested in. So if they want to hear Ashley Banjo from Diversity talking about, you know, what that was like and it's good, they get that person in. If you want to get somebody from The Apprentice talking about building your personal brand, get that person in. You know, build it from, as you say, the hooks, the things that are interesting to your audience. And, and that's sort of like almost like marketing 101. Um, you know, if you go on any of the social media platforms, that's what everyone's trying to figure out is, you know, what do we know about our target audience that will make our content kind of shareable and resonate kind of with them? That's how you build a content strategy. And it's like, well, that thinking is just completely absent. It's it, time and time again. It's like we've got this stuff in L&D that we want to talk about. How can we push it out? at people yep. through various kind of comms channels and then there's this sort of disappointment when people don't engage and it's like well what were you I'm expecting? not surprised <laughs> <laughs> exactly I know like oh our campaign didn't work well tell me about your campaign okay well we, we were doing learning at work we, uh, okay and then you know we, we did all this stuff for a week during learning at work week and then everything just disappeared you know what people are really forgetful people forget you know the the whole purpose of any marketing campaign in the world is to keep a product or a service 
front of mind, you know. So like recent McDonald's campaign, another one with the eyebrows where they don't really use any any big branding or their logos or anything in it. They're not really showing a product. All they're doing is reminding you that McDonald's exists. Mm. It's very clever, you know, so that when when the pain or the need becomes so big, I need a McDonald's, you know what you know where to go. Yeah. And I I think we would do well in L and D to zoom out further because something I'd really try to drum into people and it it never really hits the right notes. But I know what I'm saying is true is at the end of the day, if someone is, if all you're going to do is constantly promote learning. So like when we've done campaigns with clients, a, a big part of the early early campaign is very rarely sending people to the learning platform or mm. specific learning content because at that stage, we're trying to provoke and be, you know, instill intrigue, peak interest. And you can't necessarily do that if you're like, hey, learning's so cool. Go go do this health and safety module. You know, it just the two I mean, things just, don't. It's nuts, though, isn't it? Campaign about learning. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing. Imagine a big organization that said, you know, we want more buying happening. And they said, well, can we do a campaign about buying? Wouldn't the obvious thing be to say, I think that's just a silly thing. I think what are people buying things for? Should we should we start there? It's like if you want people to buy more stuff, don't don't have a big campaign about buying is good. You know, just say we've we've got this really cool thing that will you know make you, I don't know, uh, feel better about your life. It will make your life easier. And it's just that, and so it's you should almost never have a campaign about learning because everybody's already doing learning. They're doing learning mm-hmm. because they do it in pursuit of the things that matter to them, like doing the job better or fitting in or, you know, building their reputation or, um, you know, feeling better about themselves. Whatever it is, those those are the things that the campaign sits around. It's never around learning, which is always only the concern of the learning team. Um, that That's it just seems so obvious to me that that's a weird thing to do. It's like have a week a year. Why do you tell people that learning is great? Well, how do you think they're doing the job? You know, people start learning on day one. The things that fascinate them are things like one of the most popular things we ever produced was top 10 ways to get fired. You know, it's just like a simple checklist, you know, as a new leader, top 10 ways to get fired in the first six weeks. Everybody wants to know, you know, everyone downloads that. Everybody has a look at that um, because they you know, it keys into what they're worried about. But that is clever because when we talk about emotions a lot, I, again, you know, everyone's very afraid to use the whole spectrum of, you know, our emotions as human beings. So we, in businesses, I find at least internally, we're very wary of of kind of tapping into the more, the fear or worry concern areas, but, oh, that we don't want to scare our staff. But actually like, you know, the psychology behind pain aversion is real. People will do more to avert pain than seek pleasure. That That is, there's science behind that. That's well-researched. So by you creating a document and using that, that opposite effect, which is actually like, if you just do your job, you're never going to lose your job. But here's the things that you shouldn't do, you know, but the way you the way you've writ- phrased it is very evocative and immediately pinpoints what you know is a very latent fear in a new hire or a new leader. They don't want to lose their job. They probably worked hard to get there. So, you know, very, very clever use of emotions in a simple way that, well, the stats speak for themselves. It's probably one of the most used pieces of content that you created is that says it all, doesn't it? You know, they're so yeah. powerful emotions. But the secret is is really understanding what emotions are driving people. So when when mm. people join, as an example, I'll give you another example, which is history. It's not it's not all about catchy titles. The most popular thing 
that um, I've ever kind of created on any program is a checklist for new starts. You know, that gets downloaded more than anything else. And it's called 90 Day Checklist. So it doesn't have a snappy title. But the reason it's so popular, you might think, well, it's super boring. Why would people be interested in that? It's because when people join, they are, their confidence immediately, they soon after joining, they start to be really unconfident about what, what should I be doing? And they don't always want to ask questions. And so a simple one page checklist that says, do this, do this, do this, taps into their need. Um, which everybody experiences when they join to feel like they're doing the right things and they're working their way through a list of tasks as a new starter. And so, you know, that 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 is super important. I'll give you another example to kind of illustrate the range. I was working with um, a British telecommunications uh, company and one of the guys on the, the design program had this just brilliant idea because we talked about induction and what people care about when they join. And, and one of the common themes is how to dress. People really care about how to dress. And he said why don't we have a fashion show? Said, Why don't we have a fashion show? And I was like, yeah, that'd be the easiest thing in the world to do. You just put some tape on the floor. You get some previous new joiners, walk up and down with the outfits that they're most proud of, that they wear to different kinds of meetings. You actively encourage people to take pictures of it. You give them a hashtag, get them to share it on social media. And now you have a, you know, a recruitment, um, uh, I guess, uh, windfall as well, because all of a sudden people outside the organization seeing how much fun it is to join that organization and, and you know, um, and what that induction process, process is like. So you can see different elements of this puzzle kind of fitting together when you, you start to really understand what motivates people in terms of their learning, but in terms of how you market things and how you attract people to an organization. Yeah, I mean, I love that idea. And, and you know, again, if I look at that with my marketing hat on user generated content, yeah. you know, probably one of the most effective ways to validate your brand and, you know, prove the integrity or, you know, say what we're saying is actually true. You know, there's a reason why TripAdvisor, Glassdoor, all of these, you know, G2 crowd, Trustpilot, like these exist because people or even influencers on Insta or TikTok, you know, people buy from people, people trust the voice of a normal person more yeah. than they do from a brand. Again, well-researched, plenty, yeah. plenty to back that up. So if we can, you know, and we do, we do tend to emphasize the use of influencers. We had um, Caroline Fitzpatrick from L'Oreal on a while ago. She was our first guest on the podcast, actually. And she used what she called learn influencers quite a lot. You know, the, getting the voice of the employee as a, as a way to kind of build that loyalty, build that advocacy and, and have a voice that extends beyond the learning brand mm. is really important because, you know, there are in every business I've ever encountered, there are a small group of people who just love learning and are always all, all over the learning platform and consuming everything. They could be a great conduit for whatever it is that you're trying to trying to get out there. You know, yeah. they're a great channel if you want to look at it from a marketing perspective. Mm, I think that's completely true, and I think we make the mistake quite often of tacitly or explicitly sort of aping that instructor, student, teacher, you know, child model. So we'll design programs where somebody who's kind of quote expert or whatever, a very senior person comes in and lectures people about something. And it, it basically just doesn't work because people need to identify with the person they're talking to. So I'll give you a real example. Um, recently redesigned an induction program um, or, or the team did for a big professional services company. And one of the things that I did was I said to the team, there's a person called Lou Whaley on TikTok who does an amazing job of talking about corporate culture in sort of 30 second clips. And I said, just, let's just approach her and ask her if we can buy all, all her stuff. 
and they didn't i think they thought i was nuts because why you know why would you do that so people people at that again sort of somewhat characterizing but based on the data people at that generation not that interested in in that sort of very conventional way of learning and much happier just mm -hmm. learning from tiktok videos so why don't we just buy those those things and put them into our platform uh, and as i say they didn't didn't do that in the end uh, i still think it would have been a good thing to do but what we did do that was very successful is rather than just having this you know a uh, long list of very senior people in the organization lecturing junior people who frankly they just don't relate to and they don't identify what they're saying and they think well you're just saying that because you have to we actually got people's peers in the room that's super successful because if you're mm. a new analyst in professional services you don't want to hear from the senior partner you don't really identify with them um you're not going to have to build a relationship with them you might have to impress them you know and you're you're glad that they showed up but really you want to ask questions of somebody is a year in or two years in and say, well, how do things really work? You know, let's just kind of cut the crap. You know, what what's a typical day in the life like? You know, how did you get to grips with all of these things? And those interactions were much better, much better from a learning perspective, the peer-to-peer -peer ones. Mm. Something you said there that I think we could do so much more of as well is cut the crap. Mm. Great. Like, if that's my takeaway, cut the crap. Because Again, I, you know, I talk a lot about like product market fit, us actually like aligning our learning solutions to what people actually need rather than what we think they need. And we've yeah. we've covered a lot of that just in actually, do you talk to them? Do you understand what actually is going to make their lives better? What do they want to learn about? But then I think sometimes we we get a bit disconnected with the reality of what our learning function actually is or what it might truly mean to somebody. Mm being more human and more candid with you know what it is like i i've i've yet to find a client let me do it but i would love to do a campaign that's kind of like compliance it's a bit shit but you got to do it because every every time i do discovery every time i talk to you know learners across the globe enterprise organizations they get that compliance is just something they've got to do if they work in a highly regulated organization yeah they get it they get it yeah. they get it. it's got to cover the company's butt they get it, it's got to cover their butt we shouldn't attempt to conflate that with the wider learning piece, in my opinion. So being a bit, I think like, sometimes people just smell the crap and they just think, ah, oh, you're not being very honest with what this actually is and what it's really going to do for me. You know, over, over promising and under delivering doesn't do any good either. You know, so if we could just, you know, that through that user journey mapping and, you know, we do value proposition canvases, actually understanding what it is that we offer to our market and what our market wants, seeing where those two things merge, those two things alone would actually give us a much clearer view of what we do and how it impacts the business and therefore how we can actually communicate it in a way that's real and human to our audiences. Yeah, I'm going to just build. Having said at the beginning that we were going to argue violently about stuff, I'm disturbed to find that I'm agreeing with you on many things. But I think just to expand <laughs> on that point, I think L&D is actually an umbrella term for some fundamentally different kinds of buckets of activity. So compliance is legitimate. And actually, if you're the exec, that's what a big part of what you think L&D is there for, is to keep you out of jail, as Charles Jennings once said. It's like, yeah, you, you, you may need to show the regulator that these people have completed these courses and everybody joining an organization gets that. They get that they're going to have to do some compliance stuff. Now, there are ways of doing that better. It should be more personalized and there should be performance support. But everybody understands they're going to have to do something for the benefit of the organization. But the problem is when we, we apply that same technique to things which aren't just compliance and we expect it to work and it doesn't work. So the second bucket of activity is performance support. So there's 
a tremendous potential um, for performance support and performance consulting to reduce people's need to learn. So technically, it's actually learning elimination. It's the creation of stuff that helps you doing to do the job without having to memorize a, a whole bunch of things. It's like checklists, procedures, guidance, all of that that kind of activity, um, creating useful stuff that's easy to access, but which technically reduces your need to learn. And then there's a third bucket of activity, which is sort of experience design, where you're creating events and experiences which transform people. But that, again, it may not be education in the conventional sense, because let's say you create an event around belonging where people rock up and they hear stories from colleagues and they get to have conversations and expand their network. Does that Im improve belonging? Yes. Does it improve engagement? Yes. Do people feel more valued? Yes. Does it improve performance? Yes. Was there any content? No, there was no content. There was no learning objectives, but it was an amazing experience which transformed the people that went there and impacted measurable things in the business. Should we be doing that? Yes. So this is why I said when I was at Deloitte, the mission for us is to measurably improve performance and experience for our colleagues. And, and, and actually, that's a broader brief than learning mm. because improving performance will often sometimes be stripping out learning and improving the experience might not involve any learning objectives whatsoever. So, you know, that that's the other thing I think to bear in mind. It's interesting, isn't it? Because some learning functions are measured on performance. So whether that's, you know, what the C-suite wants to see learning hours or, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> Other, others don't look at impact at all in my experience and you know we're not because no one's asking for it we're not actually looking to measure the efficacy of anything that we do you know, I, I sometimes wonder you know if D was kind of not not born out of academia by any means but the platforms that we started using absolutely were you know the likes of Moodle Blackboard have evolved into LMSs and then you know more into LXPs and the such like now but that that way of measuring and marking learning has translated over to the corporate landscape. And, and it, I think it's a legacy that we need to leave behind because it's forcing structured learning environments in a very unstructured workplace. And, you know, our, our need for learning is not the same in a university format or at school as it is in the workplace. We do learn more practically on the job through mentorship, through other things that aren't measurable but are still you know helping move the needle in a certain way i do i do wonder sometimes if if you know that legacy obsession with scorm and completions and things like yeah. that which i do think we have moved away from a little bit if if but that is still it's still there i don't know if it's still kind of latent in a lot of our minds in terms of how we measure that learning has taken place you know and do we need to measure yeah. that it is a really important point because i guess that What's really happening and in, in the kind of 70-20-10 research that I think you alluded to kind of supports this is, but by and large, in outside of the educational context, people are learning at work through the tasks and challenges that they're kind of set. That's what's driving their learning. And so really, there are two things that we can do, you know, as simple as that. We can either help them, you know, with the, the, the tasks that they're encountering on the job. We can go to them and say, what are you struggling with? You know, and can we create something that helps you? Um, or we can create new tasks and challenges, you know, have a go at this, try this, you know, try coaching somebody, try having a difficult conversation, which push their capability on. It's kind of those two things, but or both of those two things are different from education. And I worry that to your point that we've created this kind of internal pizza shop, you know, where many organizations um, accept that they've got some kind of weird internal pizza shop where, you know, the, the the pizza team are running around 
um, asking different people, how many pizzas, slices of pizza do you want this year? They've got some sort of demand planning process and everybody says, well, I don't know, this many slices of pizza. And then they deliver the pizza and they're tracking how much of it is consumed. Uh, and each year they're trying to produce the pizza more more cheaply and they're they're trying to get more of it percentage-wise to be kind of consumed. But nobody can actually answer the question, is, is this doing anyone any good? I mean, broadly, people like it. Who doesn't like pizza? You know, it's like, yeah, we can like it and keep doing it. And But we, can, we can't answer the question, are we are we doing anybody any good and quite possibly we're not you know but we just sort of accept that this is what organizations do they have a little internal pizza team and I, that worries me you know it's just like well mm. i think the ambition should be a bit bigger than this and just like create some sort of self-serving parasitic activity within organizations and actually some i know there was a there's a lot of song and dance about is it um is it not rain dance uh but the uh, tiktok's parent company was it bike dance they they fired the whole training team it's like the game was up you know it was like you know (laughs) what are you doing you know this is not this is not helping us as an organization and i think people should worry about that you know we shouldn't take for granted that our continued existence is assured you know um we shouldn't just talk in very academic terms about roi we should persuade those people at the top of the organizations demonstrate that we are making a huge impact we should have people singing our praises on our behalf not you know going in and out to different stakeholder presentations with the latest level one and level two data on our yeah. uh, con- consumption of learning hours you know it's just like well we, it yeah, doesn't mean anything no it doesn't no and in fact the podcast that we did with ed and serena serena made such a good point that like you know if you're if you're presenting hours learned to say you're like finance director they might be like well hold on that's a lot of billable hours that we haven't made any money on you know so yeah yeah you know learning hours is does not a business impact make i you know i i think it's a complete vanity figure it's like me going to my ceo when i worked in house and going hey did you see that we got 547 opens of that email that we sent yeah cool what does that mean? It doesn't, yeah. there's, you know, there's so many yeah. other steps that go beyond that. It just it is a really redundant way to yeah. measure success, you know, and getting engagement at the wider business level also comes down to marketing. You know, we're not very good at building relationships with key stakeholders across the organization outside of a pure learning need. So it's not something I see where, you know, we're kind of fervently obsessed with building relationships unless we have a reason to you know whereas i think actually if you don't if you have an existing relationship with your internal comms person and then you go to them and say hey could you help me with this thing they're going to be much more inclined to come to you and help you than if out of nowhere you say hey my name's bob and i really need your help with this thing like who are you go away so i you know i think that again we need to get better at marketing ourselves to other stakeholders that aren't just the employee base, you know, managers, but also that C-suite and key leaders across functions, you know, that business partnering piece is something that I think is really, really important for us actually amplifying our voice. And on top of that, I'm with you. We need to be a bit more like renegades. If we spend the our tenure in L&D waiting for permission to do something differently, we're, we're going to be waiting for our entire lifetimes, I think it's almost for us to deviate, pivot, and actually maybe do some pilots, do some things differently. Apologize later, you know, don't ask permission, apologize later. I didn't suggest that to anybody. But I think there is something in there, you know, we can't mm. just wait for the permission to change the status quo. It's got to come from us, I think. 
Yes, and we have to be good at marketing what we do internally. I think some of my success in my different roles has come from doing that. People wonder how you can change an organization quickly. You can, but you won't do it by going in and out of different governance meetings with policies and process and recommendations and best practice sharing. You'll do it by what I call strategic exemplification. And the way that works is in a big organization, people resist change. They will continue doing what they're doing unless they see something that they like the look of they want to do. So strategic exemplification is a, a, an approach where you you just do something, you're a bit renegade. You do something really differently in terms of a learning thing program whatever it is um and then you create a kind of like a trailer or a marketing wrap around that a pack and then you market that internally and what you'll find is that all of a sudden you know people are rocking up at your door to talk about how you know they can do their thing in that sort of way and so that helped us enormously when i was when i was at deloitte we redid the induction program we won a gold award at lpi for it whatever and um the organization we were working with to do that created this kind of two minute trailer and and imagine you're an exec right you're um you know richard houston who's kind of become the executive lawyer you sit in these terribly dull meetings every day where everybody from the procurement team to the hr team rock up with their slide where boxes and stats showing that they're making marginal improvements of what they do and halfway through the day somebody comes rocks up in the room shows this absolutely staggeringly exciting thing that they're doing around the induction program and that's the one thing that you remember from that day that week that month and you want to talk to about your colleagues and have you had a look at this and you want to share it because it is the exciting thing that's happening and then all of a sudden, everybody wants to talk to you about, oh, how did you do that? How could we do that? We've heard from the boss that it's a really exciting thing that you're doing. Now we want to do it too. And and it's just such a remarkably effective strategy internally. So use of that marketing approach internally to drive change within the organization, that that that's a good trick to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing for me, it, it, it will help so many aspects of learning actually adopting a marketing mindset and enhancing your capabilities in these areas it isn't just as straightforward as i'm going to learn how to build out campaigns it's actually about connect being a, you know connecting with the business and being really fastidious about that and actually understanding how to show value to different audiences by understanding what's important to them because again yeah. you know that c suite understanding how you position yourselves to them and how you present to them is different to how you present to your learners. And it's yeah. what it should be because the, yeah. their objectives and the, the position that they're coming from is, is significantly different. Mm -hmm. Nick, we are nearly at time. And I wanted to ask you just one final question before sure. we sign off today. Well, maybe two, actually, if you're, if you're willing. One is obviously I don't want the people to walk away thinking, well, bloody hell, like we're doing a terrible job here in L&D and everything's broken because it's not. So I have a twofold question for you. What is something that you think we're doing really well in L&D that we should continue to sustain from now and into the future? And what's the one thing that we should just stop doing immediately yesterday? I guess that what I see a lot in L&D is ambition and passion and a lot of really people who care about other people. That's a tremendous, you know, thing to have within a group of, of individuals. And I think we're trying to sort of harness that in service of other people to help them to grow and develop and so on. And so I think that is, that's a motivation that we can really kind of harness um, and enable people to understand that there are better ways of, um, you know, designing experiences 
of helping people to do the work that they do. So I think that's tremendous kind of human capital, if you want to put it that way, that that passion that and enthusiasm that people have for supporting their colleagues. If only you kind of unlock that out of that kind of educational frame and show that there are mm. there are better ways of doing that. Um, and so that the the answer to the second part of the question, what what could we be doing better, links to that, which is d- don't don't build anything without talking to your intended audience. I think it, it can seem a bit overwhelming, all the stuff we've been talking about, all the different techniques, you know, but if you just start small and start by finding opportunities within your design process, whatever that is, um, to talk to some of the people that you're designing a solution for, that will be quite transformative and that engagement will improve the relevance and the results that you get from your programs if you've taken the time to to talk to your audience, however you do that. I agree. I think that is the foundation of everything. That is the springboard. If we don't start there, very little will change. I could not agree more. Yeah. People will sometimes say, well, yeah, we do, Nick, we do training needs analysis. I don't mean that. I don't mean going to no. people and saying, what, you know, what, what are gaps in your knowledge? I mean, just talk to them about their lives, what they're encountering every day, what they worry about, what tasks they're having to do. So that, you know, in the same way that you would if you were developing a product for a, a, a customer base, you know, really just understanding how you fit with their life. Um, so, yeah. Yeah take off the learning lens mm, for a minute I like that. and just yeah, yeah just have because i see that exact same thing we always start from the, the learning and that's not the point like actually we just we need to forget that for a bit we just need mm. to get to know who they are and yeah. what's going on with them so we can connect with them the learning stuff can come a little bit later yeah Nick, wow. I, I mean, I probably could have chatted to you for the rest of the day. I've absolutely loved this conversation. My brain is going, you know, whirly wheel in 100 miles an hour. You've shared some amazing examples of how you've seen some of the stuff we've been talking about today in real life. And, you know, thank you so much for being so candid and just bringing so many different innovative ideas to the table. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Likewise, it's good to to talk about learning in a different direction, a new direction. And I think it's absolutely right. What what you're trying to do and many people are trying to do um, and I'm glad that we got the chance to talk about it um, so thank you me too all right well thank you so much for your time and I will see you soon bye Nick thanks Ashley bye, bye. bye.